being an investor lets you work in parallel and it lets you support multiple companies at the same time and it lets you leverage the network or the resources you have to get that impact out. What's up everybody? Welcome to the Latam Venture Capital Podcast. This is your host, Fernanda Sesto, and in this show, I have thought-provoking interviews with Latinx venture capital investors and fearless entrepreneurs who share their stories of success, challenges, career backgrounds, and market thoughts. Thank you for tuning in today, and I'm excited to introduce today's guest. Santiago Rojas Montoya is the co-founder and managing director of Cube Ventures, a VC firm that accelerates early-stage tech startups in Latin America. Santiago's story is fascinating. Born and raised in Colombia, moved to Florida in the United States after experiencing some turbulent family conflict. He then moved back again and received a JD degree from Universidad de los Andes in Bogota. Previously, Santiago co-founded Startup Co. and Philo Legal and received awards such as the Cairo Society Fellowship and IBM Global Entrepreneurship Distinction. This is Santiago Rojas. Hi, Santiago. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much. To begin with, I'd love to ask you more about what's your story. And specifically, we'd love to know more what are your core values and passions and hobbies. Sure. Um, very uh, easy to, to question to start with. Sarcastic. Um, really, my, my story starts in Colombia. I, I was born in, in Bogota. Um, my father, he was kidnapped in the 90s. And then once he's freed... Uh, we decided to move to South Florida, the United States, looking for more safer um, and, and, and better prospects. When we move, um, like my world from a very young age expands, access to amazing public education, Miami-Dade. And then uh, into uh, my, my, my teenage years, we'd come back to Colombia. I finished school here. Um, my family comes from, I had a very, tough economic times. So then university was only possible with a scholarship or, or not, not so much. And, you know, thanks to my, my head, thanks to uh, being one of the top 50 uh, test scores in the country out of a million test takers, I was able to access um, an amazing university in Bogota, one of the best universities in Latin America called Universidad de los Andes. So I studied on a full scholarship, merit and need based during that, that whole period, studied law with a minor in entrepreneurship. But my main strength was, was math. So I think here's one of my first core values is I believe in having a holistic approach to how you build it. For me, I, I, I didn't bet on my strengths in college. I bet on my um, weaknesses and I, and I tried to make sure that I had less weak points to be a stronger contributor and potential at that moment i wanted to be a business person i had no idea what that meant but i sort of wanted to do different things and cool things and i knew that i had to complete the thing that i understood numbers people were another thing altogether and then thankfully i learned about people a little bit more and then called my second core value is i believe that talent can potentially can be found anywhere I believe opportunities are created and you create them through uh, three C's. And that's what I believe. It's community, capital, and um, and capabilities. So community, there's this wonderful law called Metcalfe's law 
apply a lot in electrical engineering and the rest, it says that a network its value is equal to the number of nodes squared. So every new person you meet, it's the value that it adds to you and the network is not linear. It's it's exponential. I think there's a huge power in building networks. Second, capital, of course, it's a, it's an amplifier of whatever you want to build, and capabilities is directing that in the right right way. Soft and hard skills. I studied at um, university, worked for a company builder called Polymath Ventures. Completely fell in love with startups and knew that I could do it. There was a shortcut to, to starting things, and straight out of college, no money in my pocket. My my mom had just passed away, unfortunately, and one of the last things we talked with her was the possibility of, of her, uh, well, us working together, starting a company. So then with her in my, my mind and my heart, we start, I started my first company, a legal tech. And then out of, I used to get into the university's computer lab as a, as an alum and then work from there. My first friends, they, they were interns. Um, and then that, that ended up being my first exit years along the road. I could uh, sell part of my shares and and discover that with hard work and and ideas and tech you can actually build liquidity uh, and that that's fascinating. Um, I, I grew that company uh, and then found an amazing co-founder Camilo Gomez. He then I, I want him to be CEO. Stepped aside and started new things. Started three other companies, uh, tech startups. Um, two closed down. One that uh, raised money and sold it. And then in 2020, we started Cube Ventures, which is now a VC firm that bets on pre-seed companies in Latin America, especially undervalued founders. We, what we call undervalued is those underrepresented, um, amazing, best-in-class founders that be, for no financial reason or no objective reason at all, they have low access to capital. And that can be geographical. That can be because you're a migrant. That can be because of your gender, because of your race, because of your religion, because of your... There's so many factors that make someone underrepresented. It doesn't make financial sense to not uh, bet on the best because usually they're more resilient, they have more grit, and they have much more challenges that they've overcome. Um, and in Latin America, we're long Latin. We, we believe that this region is amazing. 660 million people live here. If we add it up, GDP from Rio Grande, from Mexico to Patagonia to Argentina, it would be $5.1 trillion. That's, it would be the third biggest economy in the world. Uh, only US China would be on top, but then Japan and UK next. Um, and I think we still haven't believed that. Like, you can add the numbers, but there, we haven't still internalized the fact that Latin America has. Water has trees, has food, has tech, has amazing talent, has a, a burgeoning middle class, and has a huge potential for the next century. So we want to bet on that, and um, that's like the initial intro. Sorry for the monologue. No, of course, I I really appreciated that. Thank you so much for walking me through your entire like life and career. It seems like your story is really interesting and has a lot of well, ups and downs seems like. So thank you for sharing that. And, you know, as you mentioned just now, before jumping into the venture capital industry, you were a founder yourself. 
So I'm curious to know in what ways you think your experience as an entrepreneur helps you now having the investor uh, role and, and having the investor mindset and in what ways it doesn't. Because I've heard from venture capitalists multiple times that sometimes being an entrepreneur in the past can blind you a little bit, can, but it can also make you more empathetic. So I'm curious to know more about what your personal thoughts are on that. That's a great question. So I think on a positive note, so I think the biggest things um, having been a founder gives me as an investor, I think is um, it's, it's more than empathy. It's, it's understanding um, the difficulties behind um, P&L, behind a uh, quarter report, it tells a story and, and, and even though as, as an investor, you want that 20% monthly growth rate and you want those healthy unit economics and, and you want it up to the, up to the right. It's not making excuses for a founder, but it's understanding how the ride is going to be and understanding some of the, like the, sometimes the BS that founders can say like why we're not hitting numbers. And it's like, no, you're lying to yourself. It's it's just you're not you're 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 blinded by what I also things have have had of the hubris of a founder that I can just push it through. Why don't you pivot? Why don't you stop and think? And on the other hand, also understanding when it's maybe a founder's insecurities, which I've also had a bunch of um, that are working against him and or against her and affecting um, the, the potential for growth. So it's understanding the reality behind those numbers especially at early stage. I, I had a loss of experience at the beginning and we invest the pre-seed. So that ends up being a great, a great match. Where do you think, or do I think it might not help um, that much? I think that I'm still very focused on um, operation mode, right? So it's like, for me, I'm still hustling. I'm still a founder, um, different type of founder. I'm not, of course, I'm not going to compare it to the, the, the challenges that a founder has. But as an emerging fund manager, as a first-time fund manager, it is a huge challenge to raise capital, to build out a thesis, to find and source companies, to build a name for yourself, to create credibility. Um, and it, it looks a lot like being a founder. Um, so, so I think sometimes it, it makes sense to take a step back and to, and to understand that my role is not, it can, it can be hands-on if the founder needs it to be, but sometimes it, it's like, let them do their thing and just make sure that you're, you're not over, over investing time and resources where it doesn't make sense. Um, I think that's the value of having uh, partners. So m my two general partners, um, one worked at a, uh, uh, Endeavor, worked at a different scale of companies, worked at a fund, built out a CPG traditional company and sold it to private equity. So then he has a different mindset. And my other GP, she's been, um, she managed billions of dollars in AUM, both on sell side and buy side and alternative assets. And I, that's where you have a different, like diversity is very relevant uh, because you have different um, ways to unblock a problem. Yeah, that's very interesting for sure. And I like how, you know, you recognize that being an emerging fund manager of being the first time that you're 
managing a, a venture capital fund that that is a hustle in itself and it's definitely it has some similarities to what a founder does and from what i've talked to to like in the industry with other people so that's very cool and so going a little bit backwards um what inspired you to start cube ventures and what what was your mission what was the idea that actually propelled it to, to begin with so it's two sides i think one side is humility so then as a founder you have to believe in yourself and you have to like you know believe you're the best and whatever but there's a moment when you think when you i had to like stop and understand and it's like wait i'm not the best potential person on the planet uh, of course i can be but that doesn't mean i'm not relevant and i can add value to the rest and and that doesn't mean that i can be a bridge i was fortunate enough to have amazing mentors who would buy me a cup of coffee slap me in the face or help me like a shoulder put a shoulder to cry on you know, whatever was needed at the moment and they were extremely generous they connected me with investors they connected me with clients they helped me unblock problems as a founder and i thought hmm, there's so much value in that how can i mm, give amazing people much more capable than myself access to these amazing people uh, that have helped me in the past and, and that that that's the original uh, insight it's being a founder is is is, is amazing it's uh, addicting it's exhilarating but it's sequential you can only do one thing at a time if you want to do it amazing being an investor lets you work in parallel and it's, it lets you support multiple companies at the same time and it lets you leverage the network or the resources you have to get that impact out so if it's through company a or through company b you know eventually you're going to generate more employment if you have a strong thesis like ourselves like focus on impact alignment you're going to generate a good impact on the world with that sort of cliche of make a world a better place you can you can optimize for that you can invest for that you can select for that you can you can review and 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 push in the right direction um and and i think that that's an amazing opportunity the other side is um a little bit also cliche i think i'm a cliche guy um during pandemic a lot of people had epiphanies i had one of those myself and i had those introspective process um cube was born on july 2020 so two three months in uh lockdown and i found this beautiful concept called ikigai uh, from japan this idea that you should dedicate your life to the cross section of four different uh, circles like in a venn diagram right and those four those four categories are what you're passionate about what you do for free um like second is what um you're good at or you think you're good at the third thing is what uh, you 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 know it's valuable what someone would pay for that and at a good price and then fourth is what generate the most of the biggest impact you want to see in the community or or in the world and when i did those those four circles i noticed that i was crazy about the chaos of of companies at the beginning i love that stage of passing from ideas and from abstract thoughts into real uh, real things real products real people real clients real relationships um that that a lot of investors don't have the insights necessary to invest at an earlier stage they usually require more traction more proof to be able to feel comfortable investing 
and and the third and fourth thing was like what can help transform my vision for for, for the region and lots of other people's vision for for our continent and and, and at the same time uh, i think that i was good at that you know i did four times failed a couple of times had success a couple of times and helping other people avoid my mistakes i think is is a value add uh, in itself that's really good i also really admire and agree with having an impact driven fund uh, or accelerator and that's one of the areas of interest of mine as well and so i admire efforts and you know starting something like that in latin america it's it's really it's probably diffi more difficult because there's less education of, about it specifically on how to fundraise and i guess now i'm curious to to know how is your fundraising process how is it um what are some of the struggles that you as a fund manager and specifically as an emerging fund manager first time manager that you struggle if you've seen in the industry so far the dynamics with the lps um or the capital raising all that definitely so i want to comment on the first thing you said and it's yes um it, it's it's sometimes misinterpreted what we're doing we believe that so, I mean, we're finance first impact driven we understand that generating a social or uh, environmental or impact is a good business in itself like it's not one thing or the other it's not ngo versus versus private interests um especially in Latin America when there are real problems out last last week we we had an event in Miami in Berkeley with amazing investors the guys from IDC Ventures Max Rife and Andres Barreto from from Texas Miami and uh Victor Javier from from Endeavor Florida and I loved how they put it they said look in the United States you have an excess of capital but you have a lack of real problems so you 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 sometimes you just throw money at something that's not there like crypto coins for dogs as new currency might be a great business but in Latin America we don't have that luxury like we have to we have to build things for um infrastructure for education for health for um agriculture like there are real needs um, and, and there and and when you add them up and you see them globally they actually have a bigger target uh, tam that that in the US or they, they can potentially be bigger if you understand very very specific niches in in the continent so for us it's not a contradiction even though some people might might perceive see like that and then when you go into the second thing you ask um Well, I started off being very honest. I was 25 years old, no previous experience as an investor, only as a founder. Um, very, very low uh, personal amount of, of personal runway, right? And personal savings. Um, so it was a little bit crazy. And uh, I think, I don't know if we were smart enough or lucky enough to anticipate what was going to happen in, in, in the 2021, 2022 craze. We started betting on pre-seed in LATAM a year before or six months before Sequoia, before uh, Anderson Horowitz, they started launching their earlier stage stuff where, where everyone, are, where, you know, Tiger uh, started uh, pushing everything going back. Each fund had to start going earlier because hedge funds were starting to invest in later stage BC. And, and we, we sort of rode that wave, but it wasn't easy. I have, um, I have documented 1200 no's in less than two and a half years of work from investors. 
um, and only a little bit less than a hundred yeses. So I think it's not a bad batting average. I mean, it's 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 more or less a decent conversion rate, but it was extreme volume because um, most of my first investors, our first investment vehicle for the accelerator, it was um, very specific, very ad hoc sort of structure. We raised uh, close to a million dollars in the first one, and and eighty percent of investors are are angels, and only a few are family offices or or corporates. And it, it, it shaped a little bit how we think things through. Like we understand that we're going to be said no to many times. And with a founder mindset, it's what can you do to scale quality of, of our product? I heard this from uh, one of the one of the YC partners two weeks ago in a, in a podcast. And it's like um, a VC's product is his process, and both for the founder and both for the investor. So. Of course, we can always optimize and make our process better. The way we think through, the way we respond to a founder, the way we analyze and study companies, and the way we uh, the, the 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 quality and, and the type of people that are on, on our team. And that's like the second part of the question I'm going to answer right now. But the first part was brute force. It was brute force, and it was um, making like molding reality into submission. Um, out of out of sheer ten, uh, persistence, I was lucky enough to have an amazing co-founder Lina Cuervo, which pushed with me, and and we started in a very small apartment in in my the living room was my bedroom, and and we started from that, and now we have like offices in three countries and three cities, and and we're a, a pretty big like a twelve person team, um, and 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 growing, and and it's a whole different thing now. But the first three years were very similar to what I had lived as a founder beforehand. And I, I sort of had to like earn and build uh, my track record. So uh, I, I don't come from an X big four. I don't come from uh, an uh, Ivy League university. And that's part of the reason why we invest in companies like that. Like, I think we believe in that story. And that was a scholarship student. So for me, the bar, the bar had been higher. And I think that's good for investors. That, that, that's not good. I mean, it's not a sad story. It's just like, I've I've had some of the social signaling that uh, lots of people have at the at the get go at the beginning. I didn't have that, which is great because then that scarcity produces creativity and it produces uh, execution. When you don't have that sort of trust already beforehand, you have to earn that trust through. We have a 108 company portfolio in nine countries. They're, they've grown. They've doubled in size in less than three years. Uh, out of uh, 108 ideas, uh, we have 11 companies hitting 500k ARR, growing at 20% month over month, and we've done that, you know, with in Spanish we call it con las uñas, like we've done that with with a shoestring budget. So, so I think now when I go pitch uh, investors, um, even in this climate, even this in this market, everyone can say, oh, it's so hard right now. But for me, it was so much harder three years ago. So I, I think. Um, and, and like Latin America and Latin America is saying, whoa, it's a huge crunch. The whole VC market has been like chopped off half of the capital in one year. Yeah. But if you look at the years before pandemic, we're still 20, 30, 50% higher than before. So it was just, there was this huge like spike that was the, the uh, abnormality of pandemic, but we're still growing. It's always been hard here. It's always been hard and it's getting, it's getting less hard. Um, 
and I think it's it, that's what let me attract my new my new partner my new partners. They're you know from Endeavor. They have they've been at billion AUM, and now when I go pitch, I can tell them my story. I can tell them traction and execution. Look at the good results we've done, but I can also show these people who have those those markers and believe in what we're building and believe in what and want to be part of this and decide to dedicate their life to this. Um, and it's 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 always a little bit a little bit easier. I mean, it's still extremely difficult, but uh, um, that that's the overview. Yeah, definitely the track record is one of the biggest struggles that I've heard from first time uh, managers. And overall, I mean, for people who want to go into venture, even as an analyst, which is my experience, just you need to build credibility, authority in the space, and it's really hard when you're just starting especially when you're young, when you come from an um, unprivileged background, it's like difficult. So I admire that. Okay, so now I'm like curious to know what exactly you look for in a founder. So more thinking about the perspective when you like are investing or doing due diligence, what are the things that Q Ventures or you specifically as an investor look for in a founder? So we built our own type of matrix based on how we evaluate. Um, we're proud to say that 60 to 70% of our applicants and people who are selected come from cold applications. Usually uh, VCs the other way around. It's usually a lot from warm and the other thing is from cold because there's this trust network that works. And, and I'm not I'm not saying it's the worst thing. Like we don't want to discriminate against privilege. We love amazing founders regardless of where they come from. And there's a huge amount of amazing founders um, that are very well connected and come from uh, from wealth and have and have you know great great uh, credentials and access and that and that's great. But what we believe is that we're leaving value on the table. There's a bunch of amazing people that aren't in the mainstream, that aren't in the center but in the periphery and they don't know how to get to uh, capital. They, they, they don't know how to get to the VC. They don't know how to get, but they can learn it. And they, they've done sales before. They've done enterprise sales. They've, they've built a company. They've built, uh, and they've tried and they've persisted. So they are very valuable as, as founders. Um, we need to make sure we, we have our channels open to not miss out. In Spanish, we also say picar piedra. So it's like sort of mining. We need to mine. Uh, 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 he, he's trying finding those diamonds in the rough that can uh, overperform. And there, there's this beautiful report from Endeavor, Endeavor that came out a month a month ago, and they were the 100 unicorns from Latin America. They analyzed, and then these 100 unicorns, 70% don't come from elite university or an elite uh, ex employer. So then in in Latam we look different, and and then we it, it's the amazing founders look and have different ways of analyzing. That's what we're good at. We have boots on the ground. We do events in person in Ciudad de Mexico, in Bolivia, in Lima, Bogota. We've done it in Miami, in New York as well. Um, and and we've, we've been able to build a, a strong rapport from the beach community uh, with partnerships with universities, with uh, corporates like AWS and, 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 and Zendesk so that they can get the word out so that we can do have a strong uh, free press and social media presence that lets us get to that amazing founder that's outside of of the mainstream that that selection so um 
that, that's attracting and sourcing the end founders. And then when we select them, we're looking for mainly three aspects. Mainly we're looking for technical capabilities in the founding team. Um, early signs of growth are a great predictor of long-term success. And early, early stages are very difficult, if not close to impossible, if you don't have the capability to build in-house. So we don't like seeing uh, dev shops at the beginning, or you know, we, we want to see the team that have the, 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 that has a strong capacity to build in their space, and they've had a personal relationship with the problem they're trying to solve. They've either suffered it beforehand, or worked on it beforehand, or studied on it beforehand, but proven capacity to understand the market they're in. We know they can pivot along the road. That's okay. But we need to beat them. We need for them to be connected with the people that they're working with. Third, we want to see them full time, and we want to see them understanding each other. It's like, have you guys fought before? You know, how have you guys gotten happy after that? Like, where is that uh, mix so that there's always going to be problems in a, in a company? If the founding team can't find a way to fix them or work through them. Um, that is 30 to 50 percent uh, of the companies we've underwritten. It's it's founder problems. So if we can avoid that, that's that's preferable. Mm. And then we're looking for passion and grit. So passion and grit is is for it's not non-negotiable for us. This has there has to be something that you're in it more than for a quick book or for or just for money. There's nothing wrong, and we want to incentivize generating as much money as they can for themselves, for their investors, for their clients, for the stakeholders. But we understand that there are other ways to be, you know, to gener generate personal wealth. And that necessarily isn't, that usually isn't, isn't only starting a company. You have to be completely crazy about what you're building and obsessive enough that this is going to, that, that fire is going to push through the next decade. So we want to see long-term, long-term long people. And we want to see diversity, diversity among our companies, but diversity inside the founding team. We know that problems aren't solved. Tomorrow's problems aren't going to, aren't going to be solved by yesterday's solutions, yesterday's uh, tools. So you need to have fresh perspectives and you need to have new ways of seeing the world and different backgrounds and experiences, professional and, ex and personal, because usually that's where those um, unexpected and serendipitous moments uh, come, come out of, of us, mixing things that don't sound like they go together and end up being a wonderful new category, new industry, new, new way of seeing things. That's that's the main thing we're looking at. We're looking mainly at the team because we're coming in pre-seed. When we do our follow-on check, we're going to be looking at um, traction, of course, um, and, and obsessed with the great unit economics. But mainly as well, we want to see uh, a future great lead investor. So we lead at pre-seed, but we follow at seed to make sure that we don't have a confirmation bias, that we don't believe too too much on uh, on our on our on our choices. And following a leader helps us uh, mitigate that risk. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I'm kind of curious to know 
how do you evaluate passion? Because I know that must be hard to to know unless like, you know, you spend a lot of time trying to get to know the founder. So do you do that? Or like, how do you actually verify well, we that spend, the person? We, yeah. we spend a lot of time with our founders. So we're looking at uh, four, four weeks. So we have a strong process to fill throughout most of these hard skills and soft skills and, and market size and all these things. And then we start a program with them. This program has no, no cost. It's, it's, it's our way of adding value to them. And then we work with them during four weeks. The best companies receive the check and then the, the, you know, there are investment committee approved and the other ones we say, uh, we, we hope to see on the next, on next uh, potential uh, investment round. And that, that experience of working side by side helps you mitigate the risk of, hmm, is, is this guy an amazing inter interviewee? Um, and he just knows how to you know, work at, at that conversation. How, how does he evolve? How does she evolve during exposure to, to time? Um, I mean, we also have a wonderful investment committee filled with founders and like very great local, uh, regional investors, Angel and DC, that we have a very strong relationship with and, and have uh, 50 plus uh, portfolio companies and have analyzed 3,000, 5,000 companies and they help us navigate through, through that selection process. Um, but it, it's a mix of analyzing the opportunity and the people and it's working with them directly. Yeah, I guess it makes sense. Like that program, that clarifies that a little bit because, you know, you spend more time, you get to actually see how they work and how passionate they are about the, the problem they try and solve. So... That, that makes sense. So, okay, the last question I have for you is that this podcast is targeted towards outside investors trying to learn more about investing in Latin America and investing in Latin entrepreneurship. So what is a piece of advice that you would give them? And I'm really happy to ask you this because I think your story is really inspiring and a lot of students like me, for example, who come out of like a background that wouldn't necessarily land a job in venture capital as well would like to hear about that. Uh, thanks for thanks for that. On the first day of of, of university, um, all the scholarship students they, they took us to a room, and the university principal he, he came to talk with us, and it was very inspiring. And we all had got into the program based on merit, based on great test scores and and academic background. But all of us had uh, a need, a need, uh, an economic need, uh, and that was why we had been selected. So he said something I really, uh, really uh, hit home. He said, "All of you are amazing assets. The only thing that you're going through right now is that you're temporarily illiquid." And that was beautiful, um, a little bit financial, I guess, uh, but, but it felt inspiring because he he told us that we were like, and he, he, he let me understand that the greatest resource on earth is called humans. And as humans, like, and we had worked very hard to be able to be extremely valuable. 
and add as much value to, to others as possible. The only thing that was holding us back um, was time. It was, it was applying that capability, applying that capa- those capacities and, and leveraging well, whatever we could have access to. Um, and, and applying enough, to, enough, enough time and, and enough, enough repetition and, and, and honing that skill to, to generate um, amazing value for, for ourselves and for others. And I think that that's like the most inspiring part. It's like sometimes uh, there's a selection process that says you have to have unwavering self-confidence. And, and uh, Sam Altman from, from OpenAI was saying, I have this delirious view of myself, of self, of, of grandeur and, and self, self-greatness. I don't think that you, you don't need to be um, delirious. You don't have to be uh, um, ab- absurd or, or ridiculous to, to be amazing. I, I think that it's, uh, applying a systematic apl- application of doubt to anything um, is the basis of a scientific method. It, it's a great way to, you know, to get better. It's a great way to have your head down and be, and be humble and, and do the work and do it good. But somewhere in your head or heart or whatever, you need to know that you are an extremely valuable and that that is, that is scarce. Like being able to, to give everything you have specifically and the knowledge you've built and the, and the abilities you've built, that's unique. Um, and you have to find a way to amplify that voice, to leverage that voice and to, and to help others believe in it as well. Um, a few months ago, I had a huge imposter syndrome uh, uh, with a specific challenge I was facing at, at, at the firm. And I, I, it sort of dissipated when I noticed that the reason why we were here and why the reason why I was having that syndrome in the first place was because people had believed in me and that having self-doubt was not servicing myself and it wasn't honoring their trust. Um, that they needed me to to be able to give give my all, and and I believe that's that's very important. That it's um, having and training yourself to to trust uh, the process. Well, thank you so much, Santiago. That's really good advice, and I'm sure the listeners appreciate that. And thank you so much for chatting with me. It was a really nice conversation. Thank you, and thank you for having me on on the program one of my favorite things about interviewing investors for this podcast is discovering this type of stories that are very unusual and untraditional and i think we see that a lot in latin america coming from a low-income background myself i definitely resonated with what Santiago was sharing throughout the episode and it's really inspiring for me to meet people like this who are really betting on the future of Latin America and on the future of entrepreneurship in the region. I hope that you learned something new today and please share this episode with your network and make sure to come back next Tuesday for a new episode.